This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I am so glad that you're here. Thanks for being here. Today, I'm here with Meredith Atwood, and Meredith has just amazing sort of story because hi Meredith welcome (laughs) Um, she has so much success and she has a great podcast that I was on called the same 24 hours and so we're going to get into what that's all about because it's such a cool concept and she also has an online community swim bike mom for triathletes and it's just such a movement that Meredith has created but before we get into all of your success and what you do today I would love if you just like take us back to kind of the beginning and and tell us your story sort of a drinking. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for having me. I'm glad we're doing this and face-to-face is so much fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I had my first drink when I was 17. I went to South Africa for weightlifting competition because that's what I did in my teenage years. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Like this drink was just, it was a margarita and it, and it, it transported me. I, I was somebody else. I felt like someone else. And it was the beginning of the end. I mean, immediately it was something I had to have. And I, you know, at 17, you're not, it's not the easiest thing to get unless, you know, you have parents with a liquor cabinet, which I did not. I had very uh, churchy parents and non-drinking parents. So this was, I was never around alcohol growing up. So it was all very new. Um, Fast forward a little bit to college and college was nothing but a giant binge. I mean, there was access. It was, I mean, I don't want to date myself, but it was quite a while ago and it was really easy to just go to a bar, you know, in the, in the late nineties and just drink till 5am, whatever. And so I did, and I had no off button, like none whatsoever. And I ended up going, graduating from school, went to law school, still no off button, but my off button was really completely not off (laughs) in law school. Like it was so, it was so bad. And I know people say, oh, well, how bad was it? And, you know, for those of us who have struggled with drinking, we can kind of nod and say, yeah, I can understand that. But you know, a a big old thing of vodka or a bottle and a half of wine, two bottles of wine, like that was standard. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's just what I did every night. Um, So in 2004, I was, how old was I? 24. I quit drinking for a year. This was like my year of sobriety. And I went to AA and I lost like 50 pounds and I stopped drinking in April and I returned to law school in August, and people did not recognize me. Wow. Now, I had dyed my hair red, but literally, I was talking to my friends in the hallway, and one of them was like, there was this light bulb that went off, and he was like, oh my God, Meredith? I'm like, yes. So, like, the drastic change from April to August, and, you know, my appearance and my attitude, it was enough for someone not to recognize me. And so, for me, that should have been like a giant clue that maybe I didn't need that in my life. Um, but it wasn't. So I had, I had my year of sobriety and then had an incident that 
you know, I, I was very stressed out. I went and had one margarita again. Are you detecting a pattern? <laughs> and then I woke up in 2015, you know, 17 years later. I'm not, math is not my strong suit, 12 years later. And, you know, th that's like how it happened for me. I just never stopped, you know, and it, during that time I had a legal career and I um, did four Ironman triathlons. I started a blog. I wrote a book. I had two kids. Like all of that happened around me, but drinking just was what I did, you know? And so I had this um, incident happen, I guess, in 20, 2015. Yeah. And so I woke up one morning and the kids needed to get to school. Lunches needed to get made. Life had to, you know, move forward. And I did not care. <laughs> like, I just was like, Meh. and I put the covers over my head and I went back to sleep. And that was, you know, that was not me. I was the responsible drunk. You know, I drank till passing out, but I was up with the sun and, you know, taking care of my kids. Um, but this particular morning, like I did not. And, you know, I woke up a couple hours later and I assumed my kids got to school, either that or they were missing, you know. <laughs> um, and there was a note from my husband on the counter and it said, you need to get your together. And <laughs> I was like, you know, who are you to tell me? Like, have you seen my resume? I look amazing on paper. You know, it was like, right. <laughs> I, I do all these things, but I knew you know, that was the first time after almost two decades of drinking very heavily that I dropped the ball and I did it knowingly. And, you know, I had dropped the ball a few times with people and relationships and I would fight with people and, you know, all the things that standard, standard drinking behavior, especially like on the internet. I mean, you're going to get in internet fights with people, you know, that was probably the best thing for my business ever was me stopping <laughs> drink, stop, stopping drinking for the internet fights. But yeah, I just, and I didn't stop immediately, but that was sort of the, you know, everyone talks about a rock bottom and you don't have to hit it. And I didn't necessarily hit it, but man, I could see it coming. Right. And another thing during that time was, and this is kind of morbid, but it's, it's the truth. I would drive down this familiar hill every day and um there would there's this huge tree at the bottom of it and i would think huh i could just drive into that tree like it was part of my consciousness that like life was kind of sucking so bad that perhaps i could just drive into that tree one day and it you know is a big hill so it would have done me in or just made me <laughs> very messed up but um so it was kind of the build of those things and and i came to the realization that I was either going to have to stop drinking or I probably wasn't going to make it out of 2016 alive. Like I just had this sense, <laughs> you're probably not going to be alive in a year if you keep this up. And so I, I stopped, I made the decision. I've picked the drop dead date and um, yeah, I just, I knew that December 12th, 2015, and I quit two weeks before Christmas. Who does that? <laughs> um, I knew it was going to be my last day, and and it was. And I I know for a fact that I will never have a drink again. And I know a lot of people say, "Oh, don't say that," but that's the way I have to live. I have to live as if 
it is an absolute certainty. Um, so yeah, that was the long winded version. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's funny. Cause I also, it was like a few weeks before Christmas, um, same thing. And it was just like, this is, this is the time. Like I'm tired of not remembering different Christmases, yeah. you know, I'm not remembering the best, you know, time of the year, all the families there. And right. I don't, I don't know. I was just so sick of losing my memories. So that's, we have that in common. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing was I could, and I also knew that it had to stop because I, we have two sinks in our bathroom and there's like a doorway separating them. And when I would get up in the morning, I'd be brushing my teeth and I'd look over at my husband and I could tell like if the drinking from the night before was really bad just from looking at him across the toothbrushing. Cause like I could just, I was not remembering. Like I was drinking to blackout every night and maybe I was really fun or maybe I wasn't, you know, and, and I could tell it was really starting to take a toll on him, you know, not just our relationship, but him like as a human that he was tired. <laughs> and so did he stop too? So he's not, he doesn't have a problem with it. Um, he doesn't have a problem with a glass of wine, you know, two glasses of wine. He's, if he gets really crazy, he'll have three. So, and, but he's just never been, you know, I've always been 10 levels above him. I'm the one up drinking with his friends that come over to party with him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just, he never had a problem and I never asked him to quit. I didn't ask him to quit when I did because, and I think that's a major part of this is, is your sobriety journey is truly your sobriety journey. And a lot of people say, you know, I don't have the support and, and I understand support is great. And he was totally in support, by the way, <laughs> he was like, yes, please let's stop. Um, but I think you have to be just ready to quit on your own no matter what is going on around you, because there's not always going to be that support. And, and the way I did it is I just stopped making eye contact with alcohol. And mm. that sounds like a funny thing, but I pretend like it's someone I don't want to see. <laughs> and like you're cool. at the grocery store and you just move your cart around the aisle and you don't look at them. And I literally live my life like that to this day. Um, when we go out to dinner and there, you know, the wine is open and it's poured I don't look, I don't, I don't go, oh gosh, that I remember how wonderful that was. I don't look at it. I don't romanticize it. I don't make eye contact with it. I mean, to the point where if my husband drinks and I don't, I don't see it, I don't hear it. I don't, you know, he'll sit down. I'm like, what is, you know, I'll smell it. <laughs> Cause and I don't even realize that it's been happening around me because I'm so just put my blinders up to it. Cause the, the worst thing ever is, and I'm not immune to it. You know, like I can go to a bar and I'll hear a martini getting shaken and I'm like, uh, you know, I'll hear it, but I have to, cause I love those. Um, and, but I have to bring myself back and just be like, don't look at it. Nothing is happening there. You know, bad, bad. <laughs> nice. That's, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. Just stop making eye contact with alcohol. Yeah. That's cool. I'll look at it. So, um, well, what would you say, like, I mean, what is kind of the benefits that you've, you've experienced then? Oh, gosh, <laughs> that is such a long list. I mean, 
you know, I think when you're standing on the wrong side of, of alcohol, you think alcohol is going to give you courage. You think it's going to make you more outgoing. You think you're going to be better in social situations. I didn't realize how much anxiety alcohol inserted into social situations for me and how, <laughs> how much I sweat drinking. You know what I mean? Like I would go to a party and have my fancy dress on and I would get my wine because I was going to relax, but I would start sweating because, you know, alcohol raises your core temperature and I would just be a sweating soon to be drunk mess. And so what I have gained <laughs> from not doing that is one, I'm not like in a cocktail dress sweating. Um, I'm clear on everything that happened, every single thing I said. And the funny thing is I'm equally as awkward, drunk as sober, but I don't tend to say things that I regret. Um, you know, and then one interesting thing though, I thought like my weight would just fall off of me. I thought, oh, I'll quit drinking. You know, I'm not ingesting 1200 calories a day. And it wasn't the case because I, I did a really good number on myself for drinking for 20 years. And when you do that, you can become insulin resistant mm -hmm. and you get all these other fun health scenarios that you have to spend a lot of time working to correct. However, it's been so much easier to hit my workouts and to eat well because you don't wake up with the alcohol bomb in your stomach craving a greasy biscuit <laughs> to oh, like yeah. anything to absorb this booze, you know, that that doesn't exist. Um, just being present with my family, my kids, everything, everything is better as a sober person. I really don't think, I really don't, is there anything better as a drunk person? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, do you? Is no, I don't better? think so. I, I mean, yeah. there's, there's nothing that I miss. Um, no. I mean, I certainly like there, the times of my life when I was drinking a lot were times of my life that, I mean, my whole life, you know, from childhood, whatever, you're like, oh, you know, you have nostalgia for times and places and stuff, but it's never for the alcohol. It's never for the yeah. feeling of being drunk. In fact, I wish I could sort of rewind and have experienced and remembered more because I do feel that there was, you know, really some years, especially when my second son was quite young that are just like blurry and muted and, and they're very gray. I, I can't, it bumped me out actually. Sometimes I go yeah. when I'm feeling really like masochistic and I'll go <laughs> back to like, um, you know, the years and I'll look through old photos and just yeah. be like, can I remember, like, try to get it back. Like yeah. I probably do it once a year. And I try to try to look at this and be like, Hey, do I remember this? And, and I can't still, and maybe yeah. it will come back sometimes, or maybe I'll stop doing it and stop torturing myself. But <laughs> you know, that feeling of regret of just not being able to remember certain things that I really, you know, but equally now I have everything. And so now it's like, okay, you can't spend time in that place of regret. Like you just can't. Right. So I'm really careful yeah. about that too. But no, I, I agree. I think there's, I mean, everything's over here, so to speak, really. Yeah. That's oh, so cool. Yeah. I always tell um, everyone that I don't remember my daughter until she turned three. And now she's the younger and my kids are 14 months apart. So 
I don't know that even a sober mom would remember (laughs) because it was really crazy. Um, But yeah, I know what you mean. I have the uncanny ability, just like I don't look booze in the eye. I don't look the past in the eye either. Um, But I, I can recognize that I lost many years of my children um, to, and it wasn't necessarily to drinking because I really didn't, like maybe we go out to Mexican with them, margaritas again, um, but I really didn't drink until they went to bed. Um, but what I think I missed was just <laughs> being able to handle the middle of the night wake-ups better, mm-hmm. to, to take those moments when, you know, you could be quiet with your children or to really nurture them as a mother. And I was like, oh my God, you know. <laughs> or like, this is such a, sorry to, such a thing. Okay. Last night was my son's ninth birthday. And, um, I feel this most nights now where when it's bedtime, I'm like, really, you just got home from school and now you have to go to bed and we were just playing this game and like super bummed. And I remember when I was drinking, it was like, okay, (sighs) if I can just make it to bedtime so I can pour the, you know, open. I mean, I was drinking before they went to bed, but it, but it started more in earnest. Like it was kind of like a token drink before. And then once, right. Um, once they were in bed, then it was like, okay, now we can really, you know, whatever. And so I remember really looking forward to bedtime. And I haven't thought of that every time I talk to you, Meredith, you know, you you bring something up that's so, so cool and true. Last time it was a sweating and I was like, that's true. I totally don't have to use those intense like antiperspirants. That's amazing. Can't believe you sweat so much less. It's awesome. And then now it's the bedtime thing. I have never considered that, but I, my entire perspective shifted from, you know like I like soak in the time in the morning before they're in school and I soak in the time before they have to go to bed because I know it's just a few hours a day and then they're in school the rest of the day and now before same thing it was just like oh I can't wait for you to be in bed yeah it's just incredible how much time was wasted um you know how many moments were wasted and like I said I I try not to dwell on it because it will really bum me out and I, and I try to shift my focus more toward, I guess, a sense of gratitude that I stopped when I did because my kids, they're, they're the same age, close to yours. My son's almost, my son just turned 10 and my daughter's almost nine. And they, (laughs) I used to ask my son to get something to drink for dinner, like go get the drinks for dinner. You know, like I meant fill up the water and he would go to the bar and get a bottle of wine and bring it to me. I was like, Oh, you know, and of course that didn't actually stop me from drinking (laughs) at that time, but it was definitely like, okay, duly noted this kid sees you with wine all the time, but something happened a couple of months ago about booze and we were in a restaurant maybe my husband ordered a beer and my son said, mom, do you ever drink? And I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) You know, he doesn't remember. Oh, that's so <laughs> you know, awesome. I was like, it was almost, and this kid, the crazy thing about this son, my son, is he has this incredible memory. Like, he'll say stuff like, mom, do you remember when? And I'm like, oh, God, he remembers everything. Um, so the fact that may, maybe he tied me being a jerk of a mom, you know, he knew that that was happening, but at least he didn't tie it <laughs> to me having an alcohol problem. 
Um, not that I would ever hide that from him, and I never will. I mean, obviously, even if I wanted to, once he figures out Google, right, it's all out there. <laughs> um, but you know, I try and when I get sad about not remembering and not being the best mom, I can't. I could have been. I just, I'm just grateful. And I think if we can always shift our current situation to gratitude, no matter where we are, it. it it can kind of dig out of that dark place. I mean, and what I, love, I did a number, my Lord. And I know you did too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could, it's really, um, it's really like that, that quote, which wolf do you feed? You know, do you feed the wolf of regret by spending your time and energy thinking there and guilt and shame, or do you feed the wolf of gratitude? And, um, yeah. and you know, the more that you do feed the good wolf, so to speak, the more, that that kind of perpetuates, like you think on what you focus on, you know, and right. everything happens through kind of what you focus on. And then you change kind of your programming. We all have the same thoughts day in and day out every single day. And if yeah. they're intensely negative thoughts, you're going to have an intensely negative emotional response. If you change that to be grateful and positive thoughts. What I love about this is that all the science we knew this because we started practicing this and it made sense and it made us feel better. And I see my mother and my grandmother, some of the most grateful people I've ever known right. ever. Also some of the happiest people, you know, and like my mom was never a drinker. Um, and, and I see them being so grateful and, and they always told me this, but then for me, like something about me, I'm like, okay, whatever. Until there's a few studies about it. And then I'm like, Oh, right. this is cool. You know, and right. then some science comes out and confirms that you actually rewire your brain when you start to experience gratitude and you awaken all of these feelings of just joy and happiness in your life. And it's like yeah. amazing. And the thing I'll say one more thing about gratitude, because I think it's really important is that I used to think that gratitude was a, um, like a personality trait, like you were right. a grateful person or not. And that's so false because that, especially when you think that's true, you feel like, okay, well, I'm just, I wasn't a grateful person. Um, gratitude is a practice, like right. a practice, like you practice typing or playing the piano or doing music. You have to practice. And you know what I do, and I'd love to hear what you do, um, not only do I try to just stop a few times a day and just like observe like where I am and what I'm doing and what I appreciate about it, but I also every single morning I have a little one sentence journal where I write what I was grateful for. And every single night I try to do the same thing. I'm I'm much better in the mornings than at night, I will admit mm -hmm. that. And then at meals, we try to go around the table and do it. Because when you start to practice it, that's where the brain shifts, that's where you start to recognize more things to be grateful for. When you're thinking of more things to be regretful for or shameful of, you start to see more things to be shameful right. of. And so shifting that. But I just, for years, I thought it was a personality trait and it's, it's not, it's something you learn, which is so hopeful. I mean, but right. I'd love to hear what you do. Well, I do think some people are, I call it the goody gene. You know, some people you you go to a park and they're like, goody, we're at the park. And then there's some of us who are like, yeah, it's the park, you know? So I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I think some people have the goody gene, you know, they're born with it. And maybe those of us who drink don't have the goody gene, but that's exactly true. That's why we need to practice gratitude. And it's funny. You mentioned your little one sentence journal. I started doing that about, six or eight weeks ago where I 
one thing I'm anxious about and two creative things I want to accomplish each day. And so I'm such a non-goody gene person that literally my gratitude list on some mornings is like, I'm grateful for my toothbrush. I'm grateful for coffee. And I'm grateful that these kids are going to school in an hour. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like, I yeah. have this like wrench journal. But then some days it's really, you know, powerful. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm just a bit of a Scrooge deep down, even though people that people that know me would say I'm a very positive and grateful person. Um, those who really know me kind of know where I've come from and say, oh, you're much better now <laughs> than you used to be. But yeah, it's definitely, um, it's a practice and it's a conscious effort. I mean, if you're not born with the goody gene, you have to train yourself and it's an easy learn. It really is. Yeah, it's very like, easy. And it comes with just opening your eyes. I think a lot of times I'm always stuck in the future. Like I don't tend to be stuck in the past because I ignore that. I put my head in the sand for the past, but I'm, I don't tend to be very present minded. I'm very future oriented. And I think those of us that are very future oriented and task driven and, you know, type A personalities, we're not able to bring ourselves to the present. And if you can't get yourself to the present, it's hard to be grateful. So I think all that's kind of tied in. And I think that's why I drank. I think um, deep down, drinking allowed me to just not be present and also not deal with the future because I wasn't heading in a good place with my future. I wasn't going to hit any of my goals or my dreams or my aspirations because I was too busy drunk. So um, drinking was just this cycle that fed itself. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. And I also think it's much easier to be grateful when you feel physically good. Yes. I mean, that's the thing is feeling physically bad. And I, I don't even, you don't even realize how bad you feel until you start feeling good. That is so true. <laughs> and I'm such a baby now. It's like, I, you know, I don't get two hours of sleep and I'm like, and how did I get up and ride a hundred miles on my bicycle drunk? You know, like now when I just get don't get my sleep, I'm like, oh, I'm so tired and crabby. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> yeah, because your threshold for pain was was crazy. You just kind of made peace with, I guess, crap. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. to be honest about it, I know I did. And I did crazy stuff, too. It wasn't as much in the athletic space, but it was certainly in the, like, marathon travel. I did one trip that was... um seven countries in 18 days around the world. So LA to New York, like full circle. And it was completely, completely insane. And I remember just saying, yeah, you know, I got a method for this. It's caffeine in the morning, alcohol in the evening, carb rush at night, caffeine in the morning, alcohol in the evening. Yes. You know? And, um, and that trip ended me up. I remember I was, I was in China and I had hurt my finger and it kind of got a little bit infected. And then I was in Paris a few days later and it was looking quite infected. And it was a combination of the the paranoia and stuff. I ended up in the emergency room in Paris at three in the morning. And um, this doctor, she's looking at my finger. She's like, okay, yeah, you have a little infection, but like 
how much sleep have you had recently? She just looked at me and she's like, and like, what are you drinking? Like, what is going on with you? She could probably smell it like after 18 days. And, um, and I mean, I just broke down and she's like, okay, like this, whatever you're doing, it, it is not working. It was a big wake up call for me, actually. I haven't kind of remembered or told that story, but it was one of these things where we subsisted, like we, our kind of baseline and normal was so incredibly painful that I just thought, oh, my fingers just hurt. And she took one look at me and she's like, there's so much more wrong with all of you than what's wrong with your finger, you know? Um, but it was really interesting. Really yeah, interesting. Yeah, isn't that the case? I mean, drinking is a problem, right? But it's it's not even the whole picture. I mean, there's so many more. And, and that's the thing. You can quit drinking and then you just uncover more stuff. Like that's the thing about sobriety. I mean, I think a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to quit drinking and everything's going to be great. And it is, but you drank for a reason. Like you, you wanted to avoid something <laughs> for a really long time. And to go through the sobriety and have to work through those feelings, like, yeah, your finger hurts, but like everything kind of hurts too. Um, But on the other side, you know, you get your finger fixed, you fix your shoulder and everything is a thousand million percent better. Yeah. Like I just, I can't imagine waking up that way ever again. No, me neither. I really, I say it all the time, but it's like, I never think of it like I don't get to drink. I'm like, I don't have to do that ever again. Yeah. There is nobody that's going to force it down my throat. And I am so grateful for that. Like, I just feel like, wow, I don't have to do that. I don't have to be there. I don't have to be that person. I don't have to feel those feelings. I don't have to feel that physically. It's honestly like the best. Yeah. So I'm actually coming up on two years Yay. in a week. So a week will be my two year. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And that number keeps me going too. Cause I, I, you know, I'm like an overachiever. So it's like, well, if I drink, I'll have to start over. (laughs) Yeah. Start my clock over. Though that's very cool. I think people have all sorts of different feelings about numbers, you know? And I think again, to what you said in the very beginning is like, there's no right way to do this. You have to find what works for you. You know, we didn't drink in similar ways. Like I wasn't a margarita person. I drank red wine, you know, I don't really count time, but like, that's what works for me. Cause I feel, and I feel more free saying, I don't have to drink again and no rules, just like not today. And you feel more free saying never again. And I think yeah, like, I'd love listeners to just hear that because I think it's tendency to say, this works for me. This must be what works for you. And if not, you're doing right. it wrong. And I think it's something very upsetting about um, yes. the entire alcohol-free movement, to be honest, because I, I feel like there's no wrong way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> this is about you. You have the power. You have the key. Nobody's going to do this for you. And you have to find what works right. for you. Absolutely. Um, so what yeah. are some of your best tips for people? You know, I know you talked about, I love that, stopped making eye contact with alcohol. That's brilliant. Um, but yeah. do you have any other things that you kind of your go-tos? Do you still go to meetings or um, what sort of thing? So I did AA back in my year of sobriety in 2004, and I didn't do it this time. Um, honestly, the only was time. Like, I know everyone uses as, that as an excuse, but I just, I couldn't figure it out with the kids and the schedule, like how to even get to a meeting. And I know that sounds weak, but it, it just, 
I didn't feel like I needed it because I, you know, you said everyone comes to sobriety differently, but I do think that everyone has a core similarity and that's a decision. It is a decision, you know, and it's a decision whether to drink, not to drink this hour, this day, or in my case, never again, you know, and I think one of the tips is when you're ready and you'll know when you're ready is just to make the decision and and then repeat that decision. You know, I, I say on a daily basis, I'm not going to ever drink again. Decision is, you know, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink this hour. Just repeat that decision because I, I did an interview with um, Lauren Zander. She has a book called um, Maybe It's You. And one of the things she talks about is how decisions and dreams and goals are promises that we make to ourselves. And so when we make a decision, we need to keep the promise that we're making to ourselves. Because if we get in the habit of breaking our own promises, like to ourselves, like then who can we trust? Um, so I think that's a major trick is just, you know, when you get to your decision, recognize it as a promise to yourself and keep it, whatever it is. That is so important because when you're making the decision, okay, now it's forever, but you're not all in, you're not certain, you're not sure, you don't even know if you can do it, and you break that decision, you get in the habit of breaking decisions to yourself and yes. you stop trusting yourself. But and that's what I love about my newest project, The Alcohol Experiment, which um, is at alcoholexperiment.com, but it's just a 30-day thing. And if you can make a decision for 30 days, then people want to go another 30 days or another 30 days. Right. But I would say the decision is absolutely by far the most important part of absolutely everything. Yeah, You have to make a decision that you can commit to. You yes. know, honestly, it has to be, if it's a one day decision, it has to be a one day decision. Or if it's a this party decision, because if yeah. you can't commit to it, um, and, and if you can't, if you start, I love this. Okay. So that I have a um, good friend, Alex Sharfin, and he says, when he learned to shoot a gun, which I know can be controversial, whatever, but let's just put that aside for a second. He said, um, his coach took him one foot away from the target. So he was shooting one foot away from the target. And he was like, okay, this is kind of ridiculous, you know, because obviously I'm going to hit the target. And he's like, yeah, that's the point. Right. You want confidence. You want to build the habit of hitting the target, of achieving the goal, of making the decision. And then you move back a half a foot and you move back a half a foot. And Alex can now outshoot like sharpshooters in the CIA. Right. I mean, this guy is a really good shot, but that's because he, instead of building from correcting mistakes, he built right. upon a foundation of wins. And I think that what you just said, Meredith, is like powerful. I mean, make decisions you can win. And if you have to go closer to the target, go closer to the target. I mean, that's yeah. huge. It's all about consistency and building upon, you know, it's the same thing with working out. You know, you can look at this incredible goal a year down the road and go, how can I ever finish a marathon? How can I ever do an Ironman? Well, you don't do it that way. You do it one day at a time, one workout at a time. And if you put it in that context, I mean, drinking is the same thing. It's just a reverse. Instead of an action, it's an inaction, which I think is, is sometimes hard. But um, something that was really actually helpful for me when I was toying with, well, there's two things, actually. Um, number one, I came to the realization that moderation is not available to me. <laughs> 
it's not available to me with certain substances and certain foods. And what I mean by that is if I have the end of, I mean, I had two decades of research <laughs> that showed that Meredith Atwood was unable to have one drink. I don't think I ever did. I don't, I would go to a party or be in a situation and say, okay, I'm going to have one drink. No research shows Meredith Atwood cannot have one drink. And so I looked at that really objectively and I, and, cause I tried to moderate. And I think everyone goes through that process. Like, okay, I'm going to just drink on the weekends and I'm going to just drink at parties. And then, you know, 10 months later you wake up and you've had a drink every night or 10 drinks every night. Um, so I recognized that pattern. I just looked at my life and I said, moderation is not available to me. <laughs> and then I made a pro and con list. And this sounds so simple and so silly, but I literally took my yellow legal pad, which I always have with me. I drew a line down the middle and I wrote, here are the pros of continuing to drink. Here are the cons. And I was like, okay, pros. What are they? <laughs> You know, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to fit into social situations, you know, but I already covered that. Right. Um, so I made a list. I had some stuff on the, <clears throat> on the pro side, all had to do with social and what everyone else thought of me. Um, and then I made a list of cons and the con list went on for two pages. Wow. <laughs> it just kept going. And I looked at it and then I realized that all the, all the items on my pro list were, were not real. They were, um, you know, I want to be more social. I don't want to be left out. Um, the, the things on the con list were, <laughs> I will remember my life. Um, I will not get a DUI. I will not kill someone. I will not kill myself. You know, I will have more money. <laughs> like drinking is not a cheap sport. You know, I'm already mm -hmm. in a very expensive sport of triathlon. I should, don't need a second one. Um, so that pro con list was like the turning point, because I like to think of myself as an intelligent creature. And when presented with the proper evidence, I go, oh, you know, the earth is round, isn't it? And yeah. so I did that. And then the final thing that really helped me was, because I kind of went into my sobriety, like, here I go, I'm going to be sober. This is amazing. And day one was great. I, I mean, I didn't feel great, but I, mentally it was like, you know, I'm making a change and you get this high. Day two was like, this is kind of hard because I think I was physical detoxing and emotional detoxing. By day three, I mean, it was like a dark cloud of death had descended upon me. And I was like, I'm going to die. Like, <laughs> I am, there is no way out of my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings. These children are here. My husband is here. Everyone's looking at me. Um, it was intense. Like, I thought, I'm going crazy. Like, it's official. I'm just losing my mind. And so what I did was I got a, a journal, a skiing journal, and I just started writing. I didn't, like any time the crazy was really loud, I would get that out of my head and onto paper. And then I would hide it very deep in my house somewhere where no one could find it <laughs> because I don't ever want anyone reading this stuff. It was terrible. But I noticed after about 10 days, the journaling got a little lighter. And the purpose of the journal changed. It wasn't dark anymore. It was just life. And, you know, maybe there's some darkness sometimes. And maybe I feel down sometimes and I hate people <laughs> and I don't like myself and I feel fat and disgusting. I mean, these are all things that are residual and left over 
from the many years of drinking that I still have a lot of self-worth issues and, uh, you know, all this stuff, but getting those emotions out of my head and just out of my head, you know, onto paper, onto the blog. I, you know, when I wrote my sobriety blog, I was, I think 12 weeks sober when I came out as a sober person. And now when I feel really weak, I write and I tell people, and I think that's a big key too. You know, so many people are embarrassed and I get that. And some of us aren't in professions where we can really tell. Um, but the second you tell someone, um, I mean, someone really close to me just stopped drinking. They're on day like four or five and they told me, Meredith, the best thing has been just admitting this, mm -hmm. you know, they're like, this is the biggest relief. It's just saying it. And I think there's a lot to that because it's like keeping a promise to yourself. You're, you're finally standing in the light. You're being authentic. You're not hiding. You're not sweating in public. You're just, you're, you're just you standing there with all your vulnerability and weakness, but it's not weakness, it's strength. And, and I think transferring that, you know, shift in your thought, like, Hey, I'm just a human and everyone's got a problem. I, I, I hate to break it to you. People are messed up. Everyone is hiding something and they're, everyone is messed up. And it's just, you know, you're messed up is no, not any more special than Bob's next door. Um, so, you know, I just, I look at it as, Hey, I'm human. And if I can tell someone and they, they're either going to do one of three things, one of 12. I don't know. They're either going to judge you and think you're weak. Well, those aren't your people anyway. Or they're going to go, wow, that takes a lot of courage and strength. Rock on, fist bump. Or they're going to say me too. Right. <laughs> and that's what was always so shocking. Like when I wrote my blog, the, the messages I got from people that are like, yep, eight years sober here, way to go. And I'm like, I never knew. Right. And, and it's, there's a huge community. Everyone's a, got a problem drinking. <laughs> it's yeah. like how I feel sometimes. It's like, we're all recovering. Um, but we are, we're all recovering from something. And just because, you know, our drug of choice is alcohol, everyone's got something. And so I always try and remember that there's, you know, I think Brene Brown says that shame cannot grow out in the open, that shame grows when it's hidden and kept secret. And so when you say, this is who I am, this is what I'm working towards, there's no more shame associated with it. I mean, maybe you have regret with all the crap you did. And that's something you got to work through. But the shame, like, of I am a bad person, I am not worthy of love, is gone. It's almost like it just evaporates. And so it's really a wonderful gift. Oh, we is. can talk for days, Annie. No, I love that. I think you said so many, like, really powerful, effective things. I mean, and I think you're right, telling other people. So many people don't use that as part of their journey. And they're like, I'm afraid to tell because I feel like, what if I fail or... Um, you know, I, I say get the support now, yeah. you know, so that when you do, you have the support and positive peer pressure is amazing. But yeah, um, that was that was amazing. That was great. I loved that. I took notes, actually. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this oh, is good stuff. Good. <laughs> um, but tell us about um, I've kept you for a long time, but I have a few more questions. So tell us about okay. about your work, because I know that this story has been incredible. But so you talked about your blog and then tell us about the podcast. Yeah, so I have um, the podcast, the same 24 hours, which you were, I meant to look up what episode, were you, were you 17? I don't know, but that was a really, it's one of the most popular episodes that you were on, Annie, but 
Um, yeah, the podcast is just interviewing interesting people and finding out kind of their stories and what makes their 24 hours great. Um, you know, the idea is we all have the same 24 hours in our day, but it's what we do with those 24 hours that makes us happier, healthier, more successful. And I found that most people meditate and most people are grateful. Awesome. <laughs> that is on episode 55. I think I've got recorded now. That is the big, big summary. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I do motivational speaking. I do the blog at Swim Bike Mom. Um, I actually have a sobriety group that I just started on Facebook. I mean, I'm not a trained professional, but we have a um, just a free secret Facebook group called Grateful Sobriety. And you can go to gratefulsobriety.com and click request to join. And sometimes it's a rigmarole because Facebook really hates the secret groups, apparently. Um, but I'll get you added to that. And it's just a support group. You know, we just, I don't put up with any crap. <laughs> I don't put up with any preaching. Like it's just a place where people can, you know, it's like an AA room, but it's available anytime just to share your story. And a lot of people come in because, you know, they send me an email and it says, I think I have a problem but I don't know if I need to be sober, you know? And I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, you know, you're cranking up the roller coaster and, and it's awesome. Cause you watch them come into the group where they are. And then, you know, it's like a week or it's a year, but these, then they're like, I'm on day 60 and I can't believe how good life is, but it's such a great group because everyone comes in and the ones we got 27 years sober here that's always propping everyone up you got me you know that's telling it telling it as it is but it's it's such a great group and i mean i, I just you know it's not aa oriented but people a lot of people are in aa and so and people are big fans of you annie we have to have you come into the group and do a thing i'd love to do that that would be great oh they would, would love, love that it. yes your book is always brought up um, the podcast we did has always brought up um, several people said, you know, once they read your book, that that was the switch. And oh, it's so cool. And it's so true. Like once everyone has to hit the point when they're ready, but your book is very much like the pro con list. It's like once you see it, you can't really unknow it. You can't unknow <laughs> you gotta it. You got to face it. That's yeah. So awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Um, okay. My final question for you. Yeah. So Meredith of today, what would you tell the Meredith of before when you were freaked out when you thought alcohol was just key to life? And what would you tell her about what life is like on the other side? Oh, it, to say like life is better just doesn't even seem like it, it does it justice. I don't know what I would tell her because she was so stinking stubborn. <laughs> like... I don't, you know what I think I would show, I would take a picture of my face because, and I think that's because she wouldn't listen to words and she wouldn't listen to her mother who was desperately trying to break through. I think I would take a picture of my face because the interesting thing I can see now is when I put a picture side by side, yes, there's some weight loss because I've been working towards that forever, but you know, not only is my face not as big but my eyes, the skin, like, I would just be like, here's what not drinking looks like. And I think that would have been enough. Be like, oh, no kidding. This is pretty amazing. And it's not the, it's not anything other than it's just clarity. Like, I feel like when I see a picture of myself now versus 10 years ago, I just, it just looks like clarity. 
I don't want to say it looks like happiness because I don't, you know, I think happiness is such a tough thing. Um, but I think it's more of grace. Like I've, I'm at a point of grace with myself, with people, with gratitude. Um, so yeah, I'd show her a picture. <laughs> That's so cool. And it's so funny because this entire time I even wrote it down, um, right here it says but like you sparkle like oh. honestly like you just do and your entire presence and you're beautiful and you just sparkle oh, um and so that's so cool that 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 is the one thing about this that I'm just because last time we were just on the phone and so we weren't face to face yeah. but yeah it is I think the picture would do it I mean oh, you, should, you should put that up in your group before and after that'd be really <laughs> powerful I think I think it's amazing um oh, thank you well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining. It's been such a pleasure to have you, Meredith. Absolutely. And thanks for everything you're doing. You're really, really helping people. And, I, you know, I think just as we go through life and just tell our stories, I think it makes such a huge difference. So I'm very grateful for you. Oh, I'm grateful for you, too. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great right. day. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.